Well, it is so good to see you. My name is Brandon. And look at, look at your neighbor and say, man, that worship was good. Go ahead and tell them, yeah, it was good. Now look over at your second choice, the person that you really want to talk to, and tell them, okay, it was good for you too. Go ahead and say that, right? Yeah. There's always a second choice. Absolutely, there is. It is so good to see you. My name is Brandon, and uh, as Pastor Daniel said, I, we love the Taylor family. They're such a blessing, and we, uh, we are so happy they're having that opportunity to be able to, to get away because the very best gift that they can give all of you is a healthy them. And so an opportunity for them to do that. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, I was telling the early service this, and that is I hope that we never treat great people like the, uh, the Taylor family, like I used to treat Starbucks. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, how many of you love coffee, right? Let me see. Uh, that means you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. Yes, you have. Okay, absolutely. Well, I used to live in a place in Alabama that was an hour and a half away from the closest Starbucks, and we didn't have a coffee shop or anything. So every time we would go, we, it was an event. It didn't matter why else we were there. We were going to go. We were going to go sit there. And we we're going to enjoy our cup of coffee. Well, then I moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, and there is a Starbucks 0.75 miles from my house. And so then I started to go all the time. And I started to go so often, I started to become one of those coffee snobs. You know, I started to, to get really critical. And I'd be like, excuse me, you didn't put quite enough of the, uh, the almond milk in there. And I like stevia instead of Splenda and all this kind of stuff. And so I quickly started to take something that was a blessing for granted because of how often I had an opportunity to enjoy it. And great men and women, like the Taylor family, don't come along all the time. And so you guys are so very blessed to have, because almost every conversation I have with Pastor Daniel and Gretchen, they talk about you. And they talk about how much they love you and how much you mean to them and what an honor it is. And so even though they're not here, they may watch on replay. So can you, we put our hands together and just celebrate our pastors? Absolutely. We, we love you. We hope that you don't watch because you're resting. But if you do, we love you and we're glad you're here. And by the way, they told me that the 11 o'clock service was their favorite. Okay, I'm just, uh, I'm only joking. I don't want to get anybody else in trouble. Um, well, I, I am uh, married, been married for 20 years to my, my wonderful bride who is not in here because she is helping out in your, your kids' area because she just wants, to, we just serve, we love to serve. We love to do that. So they're like, find me somewhere to serve, you know, because she can also only handle hearing me once per week, right? She, she hears me all the time. But as I was telling uh, the other service, I... I absolutely love being married, okay? I, I love it. I'm not one of those people who like surrendered to marriage and all that kind of stuff. I, I was so excited to, to get married. And the reason why is because I knew that like I was marrying way above what I deserve. And so I wanted to hurry up and get a ring on her finger before she could get away, right? And so I was just so excited to, to start our life together. And on the wedding day, we, I, was just, I was just ready. I wasn't nervous. I was just ready. And my dad was a pastor at the time, and we were getting married in his church. And so we were back in the back getting ready. And I even remember him asking me, he was like, Brandon, are you, are you nervous? I was like, no, I'm not nervous. I'm just ready to get started. Like, I, I want to start this life together. And, and it was even so much so that there was a lady who uh, was preparing the groom's cake. And she comes into the back area, and she is just sobbing, crying. She's so upset because, like, it didn't turn out the way she thought. It was still beautiful, but it didn't turn out the way she thought. And I was like, 
What are you talking about? Man, I'm about to get married. Burn it down. I don't care. All right? I just want to get married. I was ready to get my life started with this amazing person. And so we got married, and it was wonderful. We had a, our honeymoon, which is wonderful. Then we, we come back, and we start doing life together. And, I mean, we're just, just waking up beside her every day and just, just getting so excited about doing life together. But i just be honest with you. I am probably more competitive than anybody else. Anybody else competitive? Like, like do, you, do you have to win? Like, do you let your kids win when they pl- we play games? I don't. I mean, if you, if you beat me, you've earned it, buddy. All right? You know, that's how that works at my house. So I'm super competitive. And I, if, I'm not, if I'm honest, I take that into every area of my life. And so I took it into my marriage. And at some point, I remember getting up and looking at her and going, so how do I win at being married? Like, like, like what it, like, I just, I have to have a goal in mind. And so in my mind, I'm going, how do I, how do I become a good husband? Well, the only way I can think to do that is I've got to become better than all the other husbands. I got to become the best husband I can be, right? Well, once again, the only way to be the best husband is to measure yourself against everybody else. And so I would start watching what everybody else did and do it a little bit better, Right. So if they opened up, y'all looking at me, go ahead and polish your halos. That's okay, all right? This was a long time ago. Uh, But if I saw someone open up the door for their spouse, I would open the door as well, but I would announce it. Here, hon, let me get that for you, you know? Just announcing I was slightly better, all right? If, if I, if something, somebody else did something, I made sure to do it a little bit better because I just, I just wanted to win at being a husband and I didn't know how to do that. And then finally, one day, over a lot of trial and error and a whole lot of mistakes, I started to realize that the goal of being married isn't to win, but it's to become great friends with your, with your spouse, to, to develop a relationship and to develop this, this friendship that the Lord willing will take you the rest of your life. And, and why do I tell you that is because if I'm honest, God has had me on this journey for a while that I just want to share my faith journey with you. And that is that if I'm honest, I take that attitude into every area of my life, especially my walk with God. And if I'm, if I'm really, really honest, I've struggled a lot with this idea of how do I win at being a Christian. Like, I had this wonderful experience, October 26, 1996. I, I had this wonderful encounter with God. I grew up in church all my life, but it was the first time someone took John 3.16 and took out the word world and put my name in there. And so it was, for God so loved Brandon that he gave his one and only son that if Brandon would trust in him, in, in, in God, that I wouldn't have to perish, but I could have eternal life. And for the first time, it made sense that, he didn't, that Jesus didn't just die and rise again for the world, which he did. He, he, he rose again for my world, for, for me. And so, man, I just was so excited, and I received Jesus in my life. And, and the very next morning was the first day I started journaling. And I've off and on journaled the rest of uh, my life until now. But I have a record of those early days of my walk with God. And it's so amazing because I just would write about how in love with Jesus I was and how I just was so excited to be in the family of God and just so very happy. And, but at some point, somewhere about three to six months into it, the same question I asked about my marriage I started to ask about God, and that is, how do I win? How do I be the very best Christian I can become? And so I started to think, well, then I got to be better than all the other Christians, right? Once again, polish your halos. Y'all didn't do this. This is my story. And so I would hear people who would read their Bible four chapters a day. Well, if you're going to read four, I'm going to read 10, right? 
You're going you're gonna to pray for 15 minutes a day. I'm going to pray for an hour a day. Now, for that whole hour, I can't tell you what I was doing. I probably slept halfway through it. But what's important is that I made it longer than you did, right? You're going to share your faith. I started wearing the Christian T-shirts, right? I mean, I, was, I had to win. Not, and and I, just because I wanted so desperately to be a good Christian. But I will also admit to you, at some point I asked myself, is this all there is? You know, just like with my marriage, is, is this all there is? Is this what it's about? Is it about being better than everybody else in the room? Or is it about something better? And one of the things that God has had to constantly reteach me, and I don't know if maybe this is for you today, or maybe what you need to do is kind of put this in your tool belt because you're already way past where I am, and God's going to maybe use you to speak this into someone else's life. But what I'm learning in my life is success is less about achievement, and it's more about becoming. When it comes to my relationship with God, just like with my marriage, God, God didn't save me so I could become the very best replica of somebody else. Our goal is to be a voice, not an echo. And what we have to realize is that God didn't save you so you could be just like your neighbor. He saved you because he loves you. And the success in life is not about achievement, but it's about becoming. It's about becoming great friends with the Savior of our soul. And if you're like me and you've ever struggled with that, can I tell you, you're in great company because we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 14 if you have your Bibles and want to go there with me. But that's exactly what the church in Rome was dealing with. Now, I don't know if you know kind of the background, but, but Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. It was either planted by Peter or by an amazing couple named uh, Priscilla and Aquila. But he hadn't been there yet when he wrote the book of Romans. And one of the reasons why theologians love the book of Romans is this is probably the first message that he would preach in a city when he would go. And so you get to see just the brilliance that God gave Paul on display when he doesn't just start in the Old Testament. He starts from the very beginning of time. And he talks about God's journey with mankind. And he talks about the gospel. And if you ever heard of the Romans roadmap of the system that God has in place for salvation. It's where we get the four spiritual laws from and all this amazing stuff. And then, then finally, he starts to talk about in chapter 7 about how we all have issues we have to deal with. And in chapter 8, he talks about the goodness of God. And then in chapter 9 through the rest of it, he starts talking about how to relate to one another. And he starts to talk about how if we're not careful, what we do is we start competing against one another to see who the better Christian is. And the way they were doing it in Rome is, see, Rome was a pagan uh, culture, and it was a pagan city. And they, they, they worshipped the, the, the pantheon of different gods, and Zeus, and Aphrodite, and, and uh, Diana, and all these different ones. And many times what would happen is before a merchant would go to the, the city square to, to sell, like, the meat for the day or the grain, is maybe they would take that animal beforehand and they would sacrifice that animal to one of the known gods at the time, asking that god for favor. Say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice this God to you so that you'll help me sell everything. Well, the problem is, is that Christians would then come and you, you had some of those Christians who were trying to be just a little bit better. You know, kind of like, you know, the, the, the lactose intolerant people or the, the vegans and the different ones. I don't know how that works in your world, but in my world, you know, it's, it's all these different things. And it's like, excuse me, <laughs> is this, 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 and this, or I can't eat it, you know? And so there were some Christians who were doing that. They were like, was this sacrifice to any of the idols? And then some Christians didn't care. They knew that the, that the, the idols weren't real, so they would just take them. And the problem was, is then, then you had this different, you know, the haves and the have-nots and the different classes, you know, in Christianity. Because some people were like, I'm slightly better than you because I don't eat food offered to idols. And the other ones would say, well, I didn't know that was a thing. And now all of a sudden it's, it's I'm a better Christian than you. 
And that's what Paul's dealing with in chapter 14 because what he starts to say is, he's saying, guys, do you really think that Jesus saved you so you could fuss about external stuff? Do you really think the kingdom of God is that petty? Maybe it's about something different. So he says this in Romans chapter 14. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let us decide never to put a stumbling block of hindrance in the way of a brother. Then he says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat does not, let not what you eat destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So he's laying the groundwork that our relationship with God, the reason why Jesus would come to this earth, die and rise again, has got to be about something bigger then who is more successful, who achieves, who becomes the better Christian. But instead, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's saying the kingdom of God is not about who reads their Bible more, which is important. It's not about who worships louder. It's not about who gives the most. It's not about who shares their faith. with. All those things are wonderful, but the kingdom of God is not about that. It's not about what you achieve. Rather, it's about who you become. Because notice, righteousness, peace, and joy have nothing to do with achieving. And it's everything to do with becoming more like Jesus in every area of our life. And can I tell you that I'm having to learn this over and over again because many times we put our identity up for sale. And many times we we put our self-worth on the chopping block of what everybody else is doing around us. That's why we struggle so much with the opinions of others. It's because we don't know who we are, and so we try to look at everybody else to figure out who we're supposed to be. And instead what Paul is saying is is you are way too valuable to be so easily offended. You're way too important. You are loved by the creator of the universe. And so one of the greatest gifts that we could ever give ourselves is to realize that the kingdom of God is less to do with achieving and it's more about becoming. Because God wants to do great things in your life, but he wants to do it out of the wealth of your relationship with God, not out of striving for God to somehow like you. He's already in love with you. And so nothing you can do can make him change his mind about how much he has already decided to love you. And so what he wants to do in our lives should come from the overflow of our love for God, not so that God will accept us. And I'm having to learn this in my life over and over again. And so this this scripture helps me understand that God wants me to have a free and authentic relationship with him. But here's the question, how? How does God work this out in my life? Well, well, Paul said it like this, the kingdom of heaven is not in eating and drinking or in our world, doing better than our neighbor. But instead, the kingdom of heaven is found in us. It's grown in us through righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the question. How does the Lord do that? Well, here's the first thing. How does he do it? Number one, through righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, I don't use that word. Does anybody use that word, righteousness, in your daily life? I'd love to hear that in a sentence. How's your righteousness doing? All right. I don't know. I mean, if you use that word, praise the Lord. But I don't use that word at all. So I had to do some some kind of digging. What does the word righteousness even mean? And so I was looking at it, and and the way the, the original word was written is it means right living. It means holiness, blamelessness, not not having 
something in my life that would hinder the goodness of God in my life. So that kind of actually answers the question. One of the ways that God wants to help me to learn how to become and, and, and become part of this relationship with him is through helping me understand how to live freely. And so that, that goes to the question of, well, does God really care about what I do? Yes, because what you do determines the level of freedom you're able to walk in. It's not about what you do. It's the freedom it takes away from you that God cares about. That's why there's so many things in God's word that he says, hey, I need you to stay away from this and I need you to do this and all that stuff. You know why? It's because he understands that we struggle a lot of times to get in environments that takes away our freedom and we don't even realize it. You, you know why God wants you to stay away from addictions? Because addictions don't heal you. All they do is mask the pain. And as soon as it wears off, the issue remains. He, he's not interested in masking your pain. He's interested in healing you. And he knows that we can't always tell the difference. And so we're going to go to whatever takes away the pain. But what the Holy Spirit does is he says, I need you to stay away from that because it doesn't heal you. All it does is make it worse. And you look at that and you realize that there's so many things in the Bible that God is constantly saying, I want more freedom from you than what that thing will allow you to have. And so you look at like in Matthew chapter 5, it was the very first public uh, message that Jesus preached about. And, and this was probably the first message when he would go into a new area that he would preach over and over again. The very first thing that Jesus says to these group of people is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or, or right living. Blessed are those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness sake, for those who, uh, who are reviled and persecuted. In other words, he doesn't say, blessed are those who have the most money. Blessed are those who follow me you know, with, with all, of their, all of their mind and give to my ministry. He's like, those things are probably important, yes, but he's saying, blessed are those who realize that what you have is not enough and you want to become rather than accomplish. And then the next things he does is he talks about how to live in this world, how, to, how, how he came to fulfill the law, how to deal with anger, how to deal with lust, how to deal with broken relationships, how to deal with people who make trust and then break them, how to deal with, with vengeance, how to love your enemies, giving to those who need it, how to connect with your heavenly father through prayer, fasting, laying up treasures in heaven, not to be anxious, praise the Lord. Don't judge other people. I mean, everything he's talking about has less to do with what you achieve and more about healing the hurt and the wounds on the inside of you. Because what Jesus realized is that you're not going to be able to sustain something if your relationship is not first found in who you are in him. Because if you start something, you have to continue it. If the Holy Spirit starts something, he also will continue it. And so for many of us, the reason why we're struggling so much in our relationship with God is because we're doing things God never called us to do. But we're doing them thinking that by doing it somehow, we're going to make God proud of us. When what we really need to realize is that he's already proud of you. That he never loved you more or less than he does right now. We don't do to get approval. We do because we already have it. And so instead of striving to somehow make God like us, the walk we have with God is a walk of joy because we already have him hand in hand. And one of the things that we need to realize then is that this thing called the Bible that God wrote for us, is not for him then, it's for us. It's a freedom book. It's to help us learn to live in freedom. I used to read my Bible to figure out how I wouldn't make God angry. Now I read my Bible to figure out how to fall more in love with him. 
because I realized it's not a book full of do's and don'ts. It's a, free, it's a book about more and more freedom in my life. And so when I don't understand it, I say, yes, sir, because I realize that it's bringing me into more freedom. I just don't know it yet because his book is a book of freedom. And this is how God helps us and how he's helping me in my life to go from thinking that, that life is about achieving to realize that it's becoming. It's becoming great friends with the Lord. And the first way that he does that is through helping us live in freedom, what Paul called righteousness, living in freedom. The second thing he said was, is he said, the kingdom of heaven is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Hebrew word for, for peace is shalom, which means complete rest, complete satisfaction. And I, I don't know a better way to say this, but I don't know. Does anyone here like steaks? You like eating steaks? All right, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't even like to eat good steaks. I can eat a bad steak as long as it's a steak. I love them all, right? Like, I don't care. I have people who tell me, don't go to that restaurant. They don't make a good steak. I don't care. As long as it's there, I'll eat it. If it hasn't moved in 30 minutes, I'll eat it probably, all right? Just, just turn it over on the grill at least one more time, and, I, and I'll do it, right? But my favorite thing is I have, like, my favorite steakhouse, and, and my, my wife and I will go, and we'll take friends with us. You ever have that, like, you eat your favorite meal, and you sit back, you loosen your belt a little bit because you ate a little more than you probably should. You sit back, and you just take that, just that sigh of relief. That was a good meal. All right, and you just sit there and you just enjoy it. And you keep your eyes closed because you brought friends with you and you're hoping that when the bill comes, they'll see you're busy and they'll pick it up instead of you, you know, because you did buy last time, but you don't want to say that, all right? But you just, as a matter of fact, it feels so good. I want you to do it with me. Take a deep breath. That feel good. All right, one more time. Take a deep breath. So the Hebrew language is a pictorial language. In other words, it paints pictures. And so the word shalom, peace, the word for it is what you just did. In the Hebrew culture, it, it, it is both a way to say hello and goodbye. And what, it, what it's saying is we wish for you and all the things that you do. When is the last time your soul got to do that? We, leave, we live in a highly caffeinated culture. <laughs> We live in a, a fast-moving culture. We have all these things that's going on. Uh, I read a statistic recently that said that the average American touches their phone 760-something times a day. That's a whole lot of touching your phone. We live in a fast-paced thing. And no matter how much you sleep, sleep does not equal rest. When is the last time your soul took a deep breath? And what Paul is saying is, is he's saying, listen, I'm figuring out in my life that our life can't be, can't be based on who does this and who does that. That can't be where our worth comes from. But rather, the kingdom of God is something bigger and it's deeper and it's stronger. And the way God grows that in our life to realize that it's not about achieving, but it's about becoming is through, first of all, us living in freedom by honoring his word and then learning how to let our soul take a deep breath. And one of the reasons why is because we figured out who we are, and that is we're a child of God. Because you don't get offended when someone's not making fun of you. When they can say whatever they want to say, but if they're not saying about you, you're only marginally offended because they're picking on somebody else. Well, a lot of times people can say whatever they want to say about you, but when, they, when you realize that my identity is not for sale, like it doesn't really matter what you say about me because I already know what God says about me, then it's almost like you're making fun of somebody else because I know who I am. You don't know me. You didn't create me. You didn't die and rise again for me. So really, I don't care. But that's not easy. 
because we all want to be liked. But the thing is, is when you realize how fully loved you are by the Lord, it starts to change something on the inside. The way it happens is there's a story in, uh, in, in the, the Gospels where Jesus needed to go from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and he gets into a boat, and he gets there, and he's exhausted. And so he ends up going to sleep. And while they're, they're going across the way, he's sleeping, and a storm comes up. Now imagine this for a moment. There are some professional fishermen who are in the, the boat with him. They've seen storms, right? They grew up around water. And these folks are terrified that they're going to die. Now, I didn't grow up around, around the water, so when I get in a boat, as soon as it kind of tilts, I start thinking we're going to die, okay? I just, I'm not good at it, whatever. But these guys, they know all about water, and they think this might be it. Imagine how horrible this storm must be. And I don't know if you kind of watch the Bible the way I do, but I kind of, I can't help but wonder if a few of them keep giving the side eye to Jesus because they're terrified and he's snoring. <laughs> he's in complete peace that none of this is waking him up. I mean, think about it. You're in a storm. He's, he's under this, this area of the boat, but the, they're probably taking on water. And Jesus is there in the water. He's still sleeping. So, you know, at some point they're like, I wonder when the Messiah is going to do his thing. All right. <laughs> what? Come on now, Jesus. And they're kind of maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't have friends like mine, but they're kind of like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go hit him is what I'm going to do. All right. I'm going I'm to do that. He's going to need a healing when I'm done with him. You know, this whole thing. None of that wakes Jesus up. You know what wakes Jesus up? One of his friends. The storm had nothing to do. The storm never woke Jesus up. He was in such a state of peace. None of that bothered him. But then finally, they don't come and say, hey, Jesus, do you mind? It was, Jesus, do you not care? That, that's how I know that in their brain, they already went from it's fine to it's not fine to it's all his fault. Is <laughs> do, do you even care that we're going to die, that we're going to drown? And the Bible said Jesus got up. And I kind of wonder in my mind if he kind of wiped sleep from his eyes. He's looking around and he's going, Oh, hey, take some of my peace. He gives some of his peace to the storm. And the storm looks and says, that's the king. Everybody be quiet. The king is here. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Because there was such a peace that nothing rattled him. Not even his friends. He looks over at his friends and he says, oh, my goodness, where's your faith? In other words, who did you think was with you? Because his, his identity was not based on where he was getting ready to go preach. His identity was not on how his friends felt about him. His identity was on his heavenly father and what he had to say. And he knew that I'm on a mission for my heavenly father. And whatever I see him do is what I'm going to do. And so at some point I'm going to get to a cross. But I trust the Lord. I trust my father with that. And so instead, I don't really care. Look how bad the storm is. Not bigger than my God. <laughs> well, what if we die? Well, then I guess I'm going to have to come back to life twice because I got a plan. God's got a plan for me. And it's this constant deep sigh. I didn't get a chance to tell the early service, but one of the things that the Bible says in, in, in Genesis 1 verse 3, the Holy Spirit, the name for the Holy Spirit is a ruach. All right? You can impress all of your friends. You have to, but you've got to keep a distance in case you spit when you do the chuchach, you know. But it's ruach. That means a deep sigh, exhalation of breath. Do you know that every time you take a breath out, you're worshiping? Because every time you... You're saying the name of God. And what I think sometimes for some of us, we get in such a hurry. When's this last time your soul just said, God, I love you. And that's what he wants for all of us is to stop looking at everything around us to find our value and to realize our value comes from the one who already likes us. And to realize that success is not in achieving, but it is in becoming. 
is becoming great friends with the God who loves us so much. And what, what Paul is telling just this church who maybe struggles like we all do of, of forgetting that from time to time, he's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is not in eating and drinking, but instead it is in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that I used to be so confused by the word joy because I used to think that joy was an emotion. And I had to realize that in my life, what I'm learning is there's a very big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a decision. Like, for instance, happiness is, you know, I'm happy if, like, it's been raining a lot where I live in Kentucky. And so some people call Bowling Green the Seattle of the South because it's always raining uh, where we are. And I didn't even know the sun, you know, was back. I, I thought maybe it had taken a break. But you have sun in St. Louis. And so I may stay a little bit longer. So the sun is out. So I'm happy. I go back home and it starts raining. I'm not so happy. My, my kids bring in an A on their report card. I'm happy. They bring in a D. They're unhappy <laughs> at that point because something bad. It's, it's, it's an emotion. And guess, emotions are wonderful, but they make terrible leaders. You can't live your life by emotion or you're never going to be stable because emotions go up and down. And so for so much of my life, I live my life based on happiness. But to realize that joy is not an emotion, it is a decision. And so for me, the definition of joy is a settled confidence in God's faithfulness. Joy is a decision of settled confidence in God's faithfulness. The, the Bible works it out like this that in, in the book of Hebrews the Bible said that because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, though despising its shame. In other words, he wasn't happy at all about having to go to the cross. We know this because the Bible says that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays and talks to his father. And he said, hey, listen, did we have a plan B? <laughs> I'm just wondering. I don't think so. But if we had a plan B, can we cue that up? You know? But then he said, but at the same time, it's not my will, but your Which means he wasn't happy about what he's going to have to go through. But it wasn't about his emotions, but it was about the decision, the settled, confident expectation in God's faithfulness. And so he wasn't happy about being arrested. He wasn't happy about being beaten. He wasn't happy about having to walk all the way to Golgotha. He wasn't happy about being nailed to a piece of wood. He wasn't happy about hanging there for six hours. He wasn't happy about having to be in the grave for three days. He was probably pretty happy about the resurrection part. That had to be amazing. But here's the thing. He didn't do it because it made him feel good. You know why he did it? It was for you. Because he saw you. And so he said, I'm not happy about what I have to do, but because of you, you are my joy. Do you realize that you're God's joy? That he loves you that much? He thinks that much of you? That no price is too high to pay? Wouldn't it have made sense if Jesus had to tell one of his angels to go? Of course, go. But love cost him to go. I will go myself. That's how important they are to me. That's how important you are to the Lord. It's because he, he wanted to do the job himself because only he could be the position, in the position to take that on for himself. And so what God is teaching me in my life is that success is not about achieving, but it's about realizing and becoming a great friend of God. And the way God is working this out in my life, and maybe, maybe God wants to do this in your life, is number one, through realizing that he does this through my pursuit of righteousness. Because when I begin to allow his righteousness to work in me, I realize that God's word is not a book full of do's and don'ts. It's a book full of freedom, freedom, and more freedom. 
And the more I walk in his steps, the freer I get to walk. And so I just say, okay, God, I really don't like this one, but I get that there's probably a bondage there if I'm not careful. So yes, sir. And then later I realized, wow, God's word proved to be true again. And then not only did I start to, to live my life in freedom, but God wants my soul to sigh because I'm no longer striving. I'm no longer desperately trying to matter. But I realized that in his presence, I always did. That in his presence, I was always his favorite, just like you are. That in his presence, I realized that I have nothing to prove and no one to impress because the only one who matters already likes me. And to realize that I can have this kind of joy that in my life, that I can realize that no matter what comes my way, I have the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. One of the, my, my most frustrating, I, I'm telling you, it's so frustrating, is, is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I know you probably love it. I can't stand it because um, Paul says this. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let me tell you why I don't like it. You know where he wrote that? In a Roman prison. He's in prison. He's on death row. All right? He's probably going to die soon. And he actually says, a few verses before that, he says really maybe the most frustrating verse. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Paul, you're in prison. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Roman prison. There was a couple different ways they would do it, but especially there, they would take probably a lot of times they would take empty wells and they would, they would put people down in some of these different ones, depending on which one. And there's only a hole at the top. And so one of the reasons why they would have, uh, why Paul would have people write for him sometimes is because if he's in prison, you can't see down there. So he's having to yell up. And imagine you're writing, you're Luke, and you're writing one of these letters for Paul. And he says, tell, tell the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. Did you say vengeance in the Lord always? <laughs> no, rejoice. A boy rejoice again I say rejoice oh let me write that down I don't know maybe he had to say it so many times that he wrote it down twice all right because it was like surely you're not saying rejoice you're down there in a pit well of course how because this don't know me I'm in heavenly places with the Lord because my joy is not based on how I feel. Now, I didn't say be happy. I just said you know, rejoice, have joy, because I have a confident expectation in the hope of the Lord. And that can't be shaken because of what's around me. And can I tell you, in 2020, I had to learn that the hard way. I don't know what happened in St. Louis. I got a pretty good idea. Um, but where I'm from... We had this pandemic thing, right? And it's still kind of going around. And you know who hurt me the most? Church people. <laughs> because we knew all about how to strive, how to achieve, and how to, how to compete with one another. But we didn't know how to have a settled confidence in who God is. And so when we didn't have anybody to compete with because we are on lockdown, we didn't, all we had was us and Jesus. We didn't know what to do. And can I tell you that I'm, I'm ashamed to say I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any of my pastor friends that I could call and ask how many they had ran that Sunday because none of us were having church. <laughs> you know, and all of us were hitting the boost, which meant that, that our, our uh, online services would go to more people. So it looked like more people were watching than actually were. Don't tell your pastor I said that. I'm sure they didn't do it. Okay. We did. We looked like thousands of people were watching our service when it was about 20. <laughs> you know, it was fine. But all of a sudden, I didn't have 
anyone to tell me how good I was doing. All I had was Jesus. And I'd been avoiding him for a while. And so finally, all I had was Jesus, and all I could do was look at him and go, Jesus, I'm so sorry, because I haven't made it about you in a really long time. And you know what was amazing? He wasn't mad at me. Instead, he said, I've been waiting for you. And what I have learned is the less I care about achieving and the more I care about becoming, the more amazing God is. And the more he never cared about that anyway. You know what? One of the most freeing things I've ever realized in my life is that God doesn't need me. He has everything. He created the, this earth with the sound of his voice. The Bible says that in heaven right now there's a throne room. And in, in heaven, there's this, it's, it's, it's beautiful. There's a rainbow as, as God is sitting on his throne and, and the, the, the floor is made out of transparent gold because it's so pure. And underneath it, you can see the foundation stones of emerald and jasmine and rubies. And, and it's beautiful. And as the light of God's glory hits it, it looks like just this shining thing. And there's four living creatures that is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And every time they make a lap, they see a new side of God they've never seen. And so they don't say it out of repetition. They say it out of the amazement of God's glory. And every time they do that, and the Bible says that in eternity, that there's already 24 living uh, elders that are worshiping God and 10,000 times 10,000. God doesn't need our worship. He's got a bunch of it in heaven. God doesn't need our buildings. He's in a throne room of gold, but he wants us. He doesn't need us, which is the amazing thing. He wants us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. And so every time we do anything for him, it's just extra. Because we do it out of the passion of our soul, not out of striving to be known. Because he's already in love with us. So I want to ask you this question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you read God's word? Why do you pray? Why do you come to church? Why do you give? Why do you worship? Do you do it so that God will like you? Or do you do it because he already does? And as we get ready to end our time, as I was praying for you yesterday, I feel like the, the Lord gave me a scripture. And I don't know who this is for. But God, God gave me this for you. And, I, and you need to hear one more time. He's not mad at you. You're not running late. God is never in a hurry. But he wants you to know this. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What I love about that, casting all your anxieties. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Casting all of your unpaid bills. Casting the worry you have for your kids. Casting your business. Casting your job. Casting your marriage. The fears, the casting these cares on him. Why? Not because he feels obligated. Not because he thinks he has to. Not because you quoted a scripture enough times and so now he's obligated and bound. None of that. You know why? Because he cares about you. He's interested in you. So many people think that they're God's stepchild. That I, I love my spouse so I put up with his kid. That's not Jesus. He is desperately in love with you. 
He's so in love with you that he's not mad at you. He just wants to get the relationship right again. So whoever you are that has been carrying all those anxieties, you know why they're so heavy and why they're so painful? It's because you weren't created to carry them. You were created to give them to him. And that's why it hurts so bad. It's because you weren't made to do that. You were made to let him have them. And right now, in this moment, it is not easy. It's very difficult. But if you're willing to give them to him, you can experience the righteousness, the peace, and the joy that comes with realizing that you were not made to achieve. You were made to become great friends with the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Holy Spirit, we're in awe of you. We're in awe of your goodness and your faithfulness. And in this moment and watching online right now, I know that there are people that love you. And Lord, maybe because of a lie they've been told or maybe because of even their love for you, they think that they're doing good by carrying their burdens. That a good Christian wouldn't admit weakness. That a good Christian would be further than they are right now. Help us to realize, God, that our goal is to not wear the label good Christian. Our, go- our goal is to be a faithful son and daughter of the kingdom and to fall more in love with you every day. Right now your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I don't, I don't know what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, but what I do know is that weight you're carrying doesn't belong to you. The only reason you're carrying it is because you won't let him have it. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't do something as he leads you. It just means you leave the other side of the equal sign to him. And I just want to give you a moment just to maybe give God something that you've been holding on to. You've given him everything but that because you just didn't know how. Or maybe you were just a little bit afraid he wasn't going to care about it as much as you do. Can I tell you, if it matters to you, it matters to him. But what matters to him even more is your heart. If your heart is broken, it's only because you haven't brought it to him yet. He loves you too much to let you stay broken. So right now, your heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe have a silent conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, even that I give you right now. While you're doing that, I want to talk to maybe somebody else. That maybe there was a time when you walked with the Lord. Maybe there was a time when you loved Jesus and you don't don't hate him, but you don't trust him right now. You've been through some things with some unmet expectations. But you've realized that doing it on your own just doesn't work, does it? And you want to come back to him, but you don't even know how. There's so much water under that bridge. Can I tell you that he knows? But he's not mad at you. He's not vengeful toward you. He's in love with you. And all you got to do is just come back to him and say, God, forgive me. Wash all that away. And he'll bring you right back. And what I love is, is at the end of the service, you may have so much to tell God. You may be like, God, I, I want to tell you about this and tell you about that. It's like two friends who hadn't talked in a long time. And what I love about that is he, wants to, he was there anyway, but he still wants to hear about it. But let's reconnect our hearts to him. And if you want to 
If you want to have that kind of experience with God, to not just know about his love, but to experience him for yourself, say it with me like this. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I'm so sorry, Jesus. Wash away all my sin. Be my best friend. I give you everything. My hurt, my pain, my expectations, my love. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Now, God, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Lord, for those who just prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit, you will go in, wash away the pain, the grief, the hurt, the darkness, and you'll make your home inside of us. And for all of us in here, God, everyone in this room has a private battle that no one else knows about. And the goal is not to fight it on our own. Our goal is to surrender it over to you. And Lord, as we realize that the goal of life is to become better friends with you, to realize that we are fully loved, we are fully forgiven, We're fully known. We're fully accepted in your presence. Thank you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name.